0: Welcome to the Flyers Talk Podcast. I'm Taryn Hatcher in a slightly different role today. Uh, Just got on here a few weeks ago every Monday, and then now I just booted Jordan right off. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Jordan's on vacation. Jordan's on a much-deserved vacation. Uh, So I'm filling in with my girl, Brooke Destra, who is the constant we all need in our life on this show and just in general. Brooke, how are you feeling today, girl?
1: Aw, oh, shucks. What would I do without you, Taryn Hatcher? I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing. I will I will forewarn everyone listening to this podcast, as I've warned Brooke and our producer, very talented producer Ben Barry, that I have uh, construction going on on my roof. So there's lots of sounds coming out of this house right now that were supposed to be done about an hour and a half ago. And let me tell you, they are not even close. we've talked a lot about like hockey could be happening soon. Hockey could be happening soon, but in reality, we don't know that. And it feels a little bit like unreal. Even when you say that, that being said, we did actually have some very fun hockey news come out this week with the announcement of the reverse retro jerseys. I know the flyers got leaked a while ago. It, it got mixed reviews. And by that, I think primarily negative reviews. I, Honestly, I really dig the Flyers reverse <laughs> retro jerseys. Really? Sorry, I know some people get hung up. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm really into it. I, I don't know the sharpest jersey the Flyers have to me, and and I just prefer this. I mean, clearly I'm in like my all-black Rutgers stuff right now, is I love an all-black alternate. Like I I love when teams wear all-black. I think the Flyers all-blacks are super sharp. Um, But yeah, I enjoy the Flyers revert reverse retro sweater.
1: I was very, I'm still up in the air about it. And we did talk about it a few weeks ago on the podcast, but when they first leaked, I was very indifferent about it because of the sleeves and the way that it was cut off and how basically about um, like one third of the sleeve is all just pure white. So when that was released today, I was like, maybe, maybe that was just like in the leak. It wasn't the official like version of the sweater that we're going to see. And then lo and behold, it was, I am very, very happy that it went back to a darker orange. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite color ever is a burnt orange. So that is an
0: aggressive favorite color, Brooke.
1: I know. I know. (laughs) I know that you're
0: like a true blue diehard flyers fan your whole life as am I, but not, to that point. I'm
1: no, it, it was funny. It was funny because when I was growing up, I would always be like, yeah, orange is, I like orange and yellow. And it's funny because 95% of my wardrobe is all black. So the fact that I'm always like, yeah, I like these happy colors. People just don't really understand, but yeah, they really don't coincide with the flyers. It just helps because that it just happens to be one of their main colors. So I'm thankful for that, but yeah, I, I like the color separately as well. So I know some people probably won't believe that, but that is the case. But yeah, I like that they went back to a, a darker orange. It's just those sleeves that kind of look almost unfinished to me or that it looks like it has an undershirt and that's like just the white peeking out of it. So other than I'm, that, I think they're okay. I,
0: I just think it realistically speaking it's hard with certain colors to do a lot with them, like because the colors are so bold on their own. I think the Flyers do a really nice job with the majority of their jerseys. That being said, black and orange will always be like a very bold combination. So it's tough to mix it up sometimes because it's just easy for it to get really, really loud, which I think most Flyers fans don't have a problem with. That's kind of like Philadelphia as a city, but um. I, I want to move on though, because again, people people I think will either love them or hate them. I really like them. Again, I, I know this is not how it ever could be. Would have loved to see that jersey. If black was the main color and where it's white on the sleeve, it was orange instead. Mm-hmm. So it's black with the orange half at the bottom of the sleeve, but it's not it- it's not a black alternate jersey. that's just not what it's ever gonna be. The winners and losers of the reverse retro, movement. I'm curious to hear yours. I know we mentioned this at the beginning. I think you and I are, are at a consensus when it comes to our favorite. And I think around the league, it's gotten the the biggest reaction in terms yeah. of reverse so retro journey.
1: I actually have three that okay. I've been like throwing around as my top favorites. Um, so I'll save the one that we were talking about for you to gas up. Okay. Um, I love Calgary's. I think. That I don't know they, if I even saw Calgary's. Hold on. I want to look
0: it up right now. I, um, I've like just it been seeing them come in throughout the day and I'm like, oh,
1: look at that.
0: Oh, Anaheim. Yeah. Wow.
1: Okay. So, sorry, <laughs> well, that's that's my least favorite. I'll get into Anaheim in a minute. Okay. Um, yeah. I was a really big fan of Calgary's. I just think that it's an epic Jersey and aside from that, my other one is St. Louis. I know that the blues have that, that iconic, like that bright blue and the red and yellow. So (laughs) people either love that one or they hate it. I I personally love it. I think that it screams classic hockey for me personally. Um, and that's not only just one of my favorite, like St. Louis jerseys. It's one of my favorite sweaters ever in the NHL. So I think that they brought a really fun twist to that. So it's St. Louis and Calgary for me. And then the third one, which I'll let you talk about.
0: Okay. Before we get to, to our unanimous favorite here, I have to say, I kind of love Anaheim's. What? I, I sort of, they were at the top of my list. I kind of love Anaheim's because you know what the thing is, is that if you're going to do one of those jerseys like that, where it's supposed to be fun and a play, you know, on the team and their history. um, I think you really got to go for it. And that just is like a yoked up mighty duck. I I get this is probably in terms of this being an audio medium that we're on right now. I get that talking about Jersey designs is probably not ideal, but if you're at home and you're listening to this, go look up Anaheim's Jersey and tell me it's not like, Kind of just fun and i think if they were i mean i'm not trying to take shots here i think if they were a really good hockey team that jersey would be hilarious like it would just be so great that they have just this yoked up cartoon character on the front of their jerseys but um by far by far my favorite uh would have to be the abs not actually the abs reverse retro um yep. I think they nailed it. I, I I get it's it's the same thing the Canes did where the Canes honor the whalers on their Jersey. Um, the abs honored the Nordiques on their Jersey, obviously the, the origin of their team up in Quebec. Um, but I think they just did a, it, they just did a great job with it. It's just a beautiful Jersey. And, you know, I'm sure I, I would love to know how people actually in, Quebec and Quebec city feel about it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wonder, but it's just, it's a beauty. Like it's a great. It's a great sweater.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of just their color scheme in general. I just think that it's beautiful and yeah, they really executed. They hit the nail on the head with just about everything that they could have done with this. If I was an abs fan, I'd be incredibly happy and waiting in line or hmm. waiting not waiting in line because nobody should go out right now but waiting online online <laughs> not in line for, for that, that for those Friday
0: sales. yeah yes
1: so, so that would definitely be
0: sorry I'm gonna give how
1: about You're the good.
0: Rangers jersey what do you feel about the Rangers jersey <laughs> I get it's I get it's you know if you go to NHL's Instagram you can see they did like an original six but make it retro posts and they post the original jerseys of each team and then And I know it's, it's New York Rangers history. I just, and then it's interesting because the thing that Rangers fans complain about, about just doing the, the kind of, you know, the Rangers lettering across the front of it is what Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. did on their retro jerseys. And it's like the Rangers have complained about this for years Mm -hmm. and then Pittsburgh goes and does it. Right. And our our producer, Ben Barry, just (laughs) did it to our little chat. All the jerseys are better than those horrendous Sixers jerseys. Bit of a kerfuffle this week between the Sixers and the Flyers. To say the Uh, least. (laughs) Yes, because the Sixers announced their both house row alternate jerseys. And there was a lot of reaction to that and how that's not really representative of Philly. It's a really small portion of Philly rowing tends to be a wealthier sport. It just, a lot of people felt like it was out of touch with the majority of Philadelphians. And to respond to that, um, Chris, Heck's, Chris Heck, the 76ers, president of business operations. And I just want to read this verbatim. Go for said, it. Uh, quote, we don't actually use the term Philly because we think it's lazy and undersells the city. And sometimes I think, quote, blue collar does the same thing. We refer to it as new Philadelphia. Blue collar is important for the city, but it's not the only component. New Philadelphia is about the arts. It's about culture. It's about education. It's about diversity. We like that narrative more than the blue collar hockey thing. Flyers responded. They posted for those of you who didn't see it. You can find it on their Twitter. You can find it on my Twitter still posted a picture of Travis Sanheim with blood on his visor, quote, the blue collar hockey thing. So a few thoughts here. One, new Philadelphia is not a term. No one's ever heard no.
1: of it. It's no. just
0: not a thing. I live in like essentially a gentrified area of what would be considered like considered like the up and coming new Philadelphia, that part of the city. Um, and no one here has ever called it Blue Philadelphia, New Philadelphia. I've never heard the term before. And uh, like the thing, the thing that I think missed the mark the most here, and Brooke, I'm sure you feel the same way, is that as Sixers fans were experiencing pre-COVID, like season ticket season, season ticket prices were hiking, Joel Embiid was playing. Like half as often as any typical hockey player would play. And the same day that I forget what exactly happened to Joel Embiid, there was a big load management conversation happening about Joel Embiid, was the same day Matt Niskanen ripped his nose open, got stitched up, and went back in and finished up the game. It feels like the uniforms were bad. The statement. Was was worse. (laughs) Worse. (laughs) Especially as a person who's like, I'm around these guys. I travel with them, with the team, everything else. These guys wear Gucci suits. They have Louis Vuitton luggage. They're about as, you know, put together and polished when they need to be as anybody else. And then when it comes to their sport, they're meant to hit guys into the boards and play through bleeding. And it's not like they're, the connotation just wasn't great, Brooke.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really wasn't a fan with it. And if I'm being honest, I was not working that day. And I tend to, as much as possible, especially over these past few months, whenever I'm off, I try to stay the heck away from all technology, my social media, because otherwise I'm glued to it just about 24-7. So I decided to make an effort to not open Twitter that entire day until about 10 30 at night. And I saw my entire timeline up in flames because it was a lot of back and forth. And I just think that, like you said, I originally, I wasn't really a big fan of the initial release of the uniform. I think that again, they had so much potential to throw back to those classic Iversons. I think that's something that
0: you could have just done the Iverson uniform again. Everybody would have been happy.
1: Yeah. The logo and everything. There's a, there's a handful of people that I genuinely believe. And I know we're a hockey podcast, but sometimes they mesh. So we're going to talk about basketball for a second. Um, Well, when basketball takes shots at hockey. Right. We're going to shoot. Excuse me. Like (laughs) not to mention, like when
0: the Sixers were bad, when they were really, really bad, I would still watch those games and I would love to see the attendance figures versus when the flyers are bad. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I don't know. I can't say this as a matter of fact, and I could be totally wrong, but just appearances-wise, it it seems as though you can talk about the blue-collar hockey fan all you want, but they still – I still know people who, like, bought the jerseys of one-off bottom six players in years when the team was bad because Flyers fans are – and I think that's why – hockey fans in general get really protective especially in like philly's a hockey city i won't say it's a non-hockey city but a city where there are also other massive massive sports like you go to Toronto, and the maple leafs are their eagles you know what i mean but here it's almost like there's a certain protectiveness over like we're dedicated to these guys year in year out you don't bother to learn how to say their names you don't bother to learn about the sport you don't know what icing is And, and then when they're good, you want to come in and drive up our ticket prices. And and like, I respect the, the blue collar fan that still takes whatever they earn and buy season tickets to watch a Flyers team that doesn't win all the time. Like, cause Flyers fans are, and I'm not saying Sixers fans aren't, but six, when I moved to Hawaii, the Sixers were not good. They, they weren't. And You couldn't pay some of my friends to go to a Sixers game. When I came back from Hawaii, all of a sudden everybody's a Sixers fan. Everybody owns merch. This is a Philadelphia hat that I bought at a Sixers game. Like I work in the sport and I get the tickets for free. Um, And it's sort of like, no, 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 no. Like a Flyers fans, a Flyers fan is a Flyers fan. Like they're, they're kind of always there. So to, throw shots at that particular fan base was like so off the mark.
1: Yeah. It was interesting. It's almost like people view the flyers, like the diehard fans view the flyers as almost like a younger brother kind of mentality where it's like, we can pick on them. But the minute somebody else does absolutely not, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's uh fight or flight and they're going to drop the gloves and, and fight. You yeah, know, it's,
0: it's fight or fight. It is fight or fight. <laughs>
1: exactly. So Yeah, I just think, I don't know, I think things could have been executed much differently, much differently, but mm, I don't know. What a world, Taryn. What a world.
0: It's like when someone, someone's like calling you out for messing up and you're like, yeah, but like. Look at John. John messed up so much worse than me. And blah, 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 Or like, look at John. Like, he's not even, and you're just sitting there, like, you just look worse. What Su- yeah. Susie says about Sally says more about Susie, bro. That's what I was always taught. Mm-hmm. I still talk smack, but I know I'm not supposed to talk smack. <laughs> There's a time <laughs> uh, and a place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like on this podcast about the Sixers jerseys, they're still ugly. And New Philadelphia isn't a thing.
1: No. Like, <laughs> I give it, I mean, this is definitely something that's going to be talked about for forever now because of how it played out. But never, I think in our lifetimes, Taryn, that we are going to ever hear new Philadelphia and that actually be a thing. It's not. It's Philly. Here's the biggest
0: difference, I will say. Here's a great example of a massive, like, not team-related kind of on the fringe of the team issues when gritty came out the first game that gritty came out in a preseason game, he was booed entirely. Yes. Flyers fans did not like him. Then everybody else started hating gritty. And then all of a sudden the big group of flyers fans was like, Oh no, no. We're allowed to hate him, but you can't say anything. And I get, there's still a large group of flyers fans that don't like him, but there was a, the, the way Gritty gained favor initially was from other people outside of Philadelphia poo-pooing <laughs> on the Gritster right. and Flyers fans were like, no, like it's not your thing. You don't get to insult it. And then he ended up on Good Morning America like three days later. Good Morning America. He was
1: on Fallon. It yeah. Was
0: all over the place. When everybody started making fun of the Boathouse Road Jersey, Sixers fans were like, yeah, it's ugly. And that's the difference with Flyers fans. They are our adult sons that we have watched and raised, even though most of us don't know them. And uh, and you don't get to be... I get to yell at my kids. You don't get to yell at my kids. I'm not exactly. calling these guys my kids because now it's weird because I know them.
1: <laughs> but that's, like that, that's, a, big, that's a big thing that you see, like especially on Flyers Twitter. Like basically everybody mm-hmm. refers to them as their large adult sons. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not anything crazy or out of the ordinary it's because you're protective of them flyers talk is presented by wells fargo when our communities need us wells fargo is here to help sean couturier
0: and kevin hayes both ended up on the list of uh top centers in the league however (laughs) and it was fan voted right brooke it was completely
1: yeah this one is fan voted
0: however somehow (laughs) they both landed in the top (laughs) 10 as well which is very exciting super stoked about it But Sean Couturier, your Selkie Trophy winner came in at number 10, right? Nine. Nine? Yeah. And Kevin Hayes came in two spots
1: above him. (laughs) And I'm
0: just like,
1: who? First of all, (laughs) I, I think it's so funny to see how the lists vary from fan vote and then a media kind of vote. So this list was announced last night on the nhl network and of course there's been a lot of back and forth over the past two seasons i'd say about sean couturier doesn't get respect outside of philadelphia if you don't see him play on a nightly basis you don't know the kind of player and impact that he has on the flyers that has clearly changed because not only did he make this but kevin hayes and kevin hayes magically appeared on this list because he was not on this last year. He probably wasn't even thought about in regard to a top 20 center. And (laughs) now he's behind some of the best names in the league. Also, Sean Couturier
0: came in at 18th on their list. And I've talked to Kevin Hayes about this as well. And he never claims to have been a Bruins fan. His cousin was in the league when he was little. He said he always supported his cousin growing up. And that was... Who he rooted for. So it's not like he has super strong Boston ties hockey wise, at least according to him. Um, but it is so strange that a guy, a Boston kid played at BC, then played in New York, came here, did not do well right out of the gates, was not super loved by the fans right out of the gates is now like mayor of the city when it comes to <laughs> athletes in this city. I mean, I'm trying to think of a more well liked athlete currently.
1: I mean, I was trying to think of a player that came in and immediately had a huge impact. And the only other thing that I could really think of was, again, jumping back to Sixers when Mike Scott kind of yeah, exploded. I mean, so and kind well. of took over. Yeah. But I mean, like in the sense of like came out of nowhere, I guess like people had huge expectations for Embiid once they drafted him and he came and he was ready to go. But a lot of people were crapping on Kevin Hayes the entire offseason since they got him. They wanted him to fail. They didn't like his contract. And I mean, you can pull up my receipts on my Twitter. I have been so excited for Kevin Hayes. So as soon as he started bringing his A game, I was like, oop. All those haters are going into hiding now. Do I think that it's top six worthy? It's interesting because it's a testament to Hayes more than it's a knock to Couturier because people genuinely enjoy the player and the person that Kevin Hayes is, and the same thing with Couturier. But I just think that maybe it was a curveball, and it's it's a type of Hayes is a kind of character that we haven't really had in Philly uh-huh. for a while, but for the entire league as a whole to want Hayes and to acknowledge him for being that great. I just think that that's awesome. It's, it's more credit to Philly, which they're always lacking in credit in national media. So I love it.
0: Which is bizarre too, because we are a big media market and and hockey is big in Philly. So that that has always been an interesting um, like disconnect to me as well. But the thing, I mean, listen, Hayes did finish, only behind connecty, right. In terms of points on, I know within the regular season he did for sure, but they were their only two guys who really broke, I think, into the top 30 in the league in the regular season in, in points. It could be even more than that. It could have been top 50. Uh, I'd have to look back at my notes that I prepped during the pause before we came back, but they were the only guys who really, because the Flyers were such a production by committee team this year, so mm-hmm. it's not like anybody was having hundred point seasons, and you know we saw Travis Konechny break out, but Kevin Hayes, it makes sense in terms of his production, and I think part of the reason that people, I think that Kevin Hayes gets that credit on a national level where maybe Sean Couturier doesn't, is Hayes had a lot of big goals when the Flyers were hitting their stride, when they had a lot of nationally televised games, when they were playing some of the top teams in the league, it felt like Kevin Hayes got into a groove and showed up and he would score shorthanded goals. And, you know, he's got such um, body control and, and he, to almost to a fault at the beginning of the season, he could control the puck and keep people off of him and off of the puck while he let a play develop around him. And then he would kind of dish it off. Um, we saw him in that game six, I believe against the Islanders, the <laughs> overtime goal that Provorov scored was because Kevin Hayes held onto the puck, went behind the net, saw Pro- Provorov streaking in down mm-hmm. the center. And Kevin Hayes had drawn so many guys to him that it gave time for space to open up for Provov to score. And when you see him do plays like that, you make plays like that, you think, wow, that this guy has, he's like kind of a maestro out there. He controls so much. That being said, when is Sean Couturier going to get
1: credit? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what's the deal, guys? I, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is my yeah. biggest, this is my biggest thing that made me laugh is that Catrice Bergeron of the Bruins, they joke about it every year now how they contemplate renaming the Selkie trophy after him was ranked fourth. And Katori be and in terms of importance to their team, it just it it, it cracks me up. That's uh, just one that Patrice, is absolutely hysterical.
0: Patrice finished and and this is not a knock to Patrice Bergeron or at all to the Bruins because clearly they were I would argue one of the best teams, if not the best team throughout the regular season, oh, yeah, consistently, Patrice Bergeron finished behind Sean Couturier for the Selkie Trophy while he was on a line that has been dubbed the perfect, the perfect. line. Yep. Mm-hmm. The perfect mm-hmm. line. And Sean Couturier still beat him for the Selkie Trophy. Their games are so, so similar. And Sean has grown and evolved this year to at least for this past season, surpass patrice bergeron at that particular style Mm -hmm. of playing center so i don't understand how when sean couturier gets every larry jim and bob who's struggling put on his line and then magically makes them produce again all while playing well he ends up i want to look at the nhl list because now this is where i'm going to this this is
1: this is where things get funny because So Sean Couturier
0: was ranked 18th on the list that NHL Network put out in terms of centers. (laughs) And Patrice Patrice Bergeron was ranked seventh. (laughs) Was ranked seventh, Brooke. Why? Why? Can you explain to me what you think their argument is?
1: They don't watch the Flyers enough, clearly. (laughs) I mean, listen, we're trying to put on a good broadcast
0: for you people. Why won't you watch us
1: <laughs> there? You see the number one is Connor McDavid. You don't question it. He is one of the most exceptional players that I think anybody's ever going to watch in hockey. It's ridiculous. The talent that mean? he has, but it's like that uh, makes sense. Nathan McKinnon. Second, that makes sense. Leon Draisaitl, makes sense. Sidney Crosby is not a top four center anymore. He's not. I would
0: move Dreysidle up too. I would move Dreysidel
1: up. It's just personally. when I'm looking at this list, it kind of there's so much confusion to it because oh my gosh. It hurts. It hurts seeing again disrespect and Katorie. We had this last offseason too. He wasn't I don't even think he made top twenty. Like Sebastian Bajo is thirteen. It's just, when I like see lists like this... It he's makes me above seem,
0: Kopitar.
1: Like, yeah. Yeah. When no I disrespect lists, to either of them, but... Right. It's just, it's just sometimes, like, lists don't make sense. And in the sense of, or lack thereof, when I look at these lists, it just makes me see that people outside of Philadelphia do not understand the impact that Sean Couturier has on his team. Because not only is he clearly the top center on the Flyers, which the fans didn't get, but that's fine because we love Kevin Hayes as well. He's the best player on this team. He carries the Flyers. He's the reason that time and time again, like he pulls them out of terrible situations because he's able to do that. He's a playmaker, but he also knows when he needs to draw. It's, it blows my mind. Basically, he shouldn't have been 18. He should have at the very, very least been in the top ten. And that just proves that people don't watch him.
0: Which and the thing that's interesting this year too is you have A V as a Jack Adams finalist. You have Sean Couture who goes on to win the Selkie Trophy. You think that nationally speaking, there's gotta be more awareness, but now I'm looking at this fan list. No. And um like Leon Dreistyle is twelve. And I would maybe put him at, uh, like him and Conor and David as, as Back and forth, one yeah. and one A. Like, I, I don't yeah. even think that I would have, uh, like they have Jack Eichel ahead of Drey Little. <laughs> so, and again, no disrespect whatsoever to Jack Eichel, but I just <laughs> think, I, you know what list I would love to see? And I think this is the list that like really matters. I love the NFL does it. I wish that it was like a more prevalent thing in the NHL is the player's list, but by position. Is that yeah. players say? Because that's where you would really get, I think, a much more accurate view of, you know, I, I don't think a, a defensive center is really going to blow people's socks off for the most part. I, I think you're always going to want to see, like when Connor McDavid skates, you just go, wow. So it makes sense that he's probably going to be at the top of that list until somebody else comes along who does something that makes you say, wow, on a completely different Mm -hmm. level, or unless he just drops off out of nowhere. Um, But I think you get to realize the value of someone who plays that style of game and just how difficult they make it for certain people. I mean, Sean Couturier, when he plays against Connor McDavid, has to defend Connor McDavid and also play as Sean Couturier, which which is a a value that I don't think – You don't get to see it because the only time you notice it is if he messes up and gets blown apart defensively like very rarely does somebody do something defensively that i think knocks most people's socks off especially if you're watching an out-of-market team that you don't root for it's just not something that you keep an eye on
1: at nissan we just made your choice for a new car an easier one than ever with our most exciting and fuel efficient lineup The choice is yours. Now get great offers across our full line. Shop at your local Nissan store today and NissanUSA.com.
0: All right. So we did, um, and we're going to do another mini mailbag later on today in this episode, but we did a mailbag episode last Monday. One of the fan, one of the fans, one of the questions we got most from Flyers fans is when do you expect to see fans in stadiums? Do you expect to see fans in, or I should say arenas rather, um, Do you expect to see fans in arenas? When do you expect them to start, et cetera, et cetera? Now today, at least in Philadelphia, we can uh, say at this point that things have drastically changed. Starting Friday, Philadelphia is going back into a more intense lockdown. Gyms are being closed down. Um, Indoor dining is being closed down. Certain retail, certain other things can still stay open, salons, but I think it's safe to say at this point, and it's from November 20th until January 1st is the current mark. Now, January 1st is the NHL's target date that we've been told time and time again, which means that, I mean, at least theoretically, things could still start on time here and there could potentially be fans. At this point, that seems ridiculously unlikely. Um, I don't think they're going to reopen indoor dining and and then also say we can put see if they do Wells Fargo Center at half capacity that'd be ten thousand people. So quarter capacity would be five thousand people in a single building. I don't see that happening. But Brooke, I think the bigger question at this point is when do you think now that everything is spiking kind of everywhere? When do you see hockey come back?
1: I mean, this was always kind of my biggest fear was, I guess, always a lot of people kind of anticipated that there was always going to be that second spike. It's almost like how the flu is year in and year out. There's always that second wave that hits in the winter. So you have to believe that the NHL was anticipating something or had a alternative route that they could go down in terms of planning and preparing for an upcoming season if, in fact, things do kind of get shut down again because they don't want to be put back in square one where how things were in March and things were completely stagnant. There were no games, there were no sports. Um, In terms of safety and everything, which is clearly the highest priority is everyone's safety. I don't see fans. I mean, genuinely, I don't see there being crowds for anything for at least at least a year which scares me. I mean, even they just announced earlier today that Lincoln Financial Field, they're not having fans anymore for the rest of the season and they're outdoors. So I can't even imagine how indoor venues and arenas and stadiums are going to kind of handle this moving forward. I personally liked the bubble format. I know that we've talked about how a lot of people thought that things ran a little long and to even consider having a full season in a bubble just does, it doesn't work. It's not going to make sense. You're going to have players that are unmotivated because they're missing their families. They're too detached. And I've touched on this before. I'll hit it again. Yes. They're athletes. They're people. They have a job to do. They're still people. They're humans dealing with a global pandemic as well. So you can't expect so much from these guys when you don't really know what's going to happen every single day. So I oh my gosh. I mean, I even thought January 1st was an unrealistic start time because of the holidays and I think we talked about that last week. Yeah. But yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's definitely concerning. And I don't mind. Here's the thing. Like, I don't mind waiting another couple weeks. If it's three weeks, six weeks, eight weeks from their initial start date. If they have a plan in motion that the players are happy with, that everyone's going to be safe. That's more than okay. because if you're going to do it, you're doing it right. And I think that that's something that the league knows. But I don't know, what are your thoughts on it? Because I know that people probably have a lot of different views with this haul.
0: Well, the thing that's interesting as well is that, and this is something to keep in mind, is that the Flyers practice facility is in Voorhees, New Jersey. And New Jersey and Philadelphia and Pennsylvania have been at different places at different times throughout all of this COVID stuff. Because Philadelphia County is so much more densely populated than certain other counties in Pennsylvania, we've had certain really restrictive measures that other places in Pennsylvania haven't. That's why I'm pro was able to skate where he was staying while he was in quarantine. And you couldn't find an ice rink here where you could skate it was because he went to a much less populated um, part of the state. And New Jersey has undergone really strict lockdowns because they got hit so hard at the beginning of COVID, especially with the New York spillover. Um, that statewide, they kind of really try to shut things down in order to anybody who kind of migrated back down south further in the state who maybe lived up in Hoboken or closer to New York to prevent them from spreading it down in South Jersey. I, I know this from people personally who are involved in decision making and from people who work in hospitals. I'm not just telling you this out of nowhere. So what happens in New Jersey will greatly affect, I think, when the flyers can even hold a camp. Which is part of it. Um, they can't go into a season having not practiced or prepared at all. Um, and so, even if things are really restrictive in Philly, if they are somewhat less restrictive over in South Jersey, there's hope they could get a camp in at a certain time. Um, you know, the restrictions that I had heard that were announced for today were for Philadelphia, for the city of Philadelphia. I'm sure New Jersey will undergo lots of changes the next month or so, because that's just the world right now. But Brooke, we said this to begin with, and I, to me, I don't think it impacted a lot because I never really thought January 1st would be agreed to. I, I don't know why I don't think that. I just don't think anybody would really want to do a training camp through the holidays and then start a season on, on New Year's day. I just, um, but given that January 1st, the reevaluation date for this particular area. And there was a meeting of the governors of, I believe, New York, New Jersey, PA. And I want to say like Connecticut was in there. I have to look at it again, but there was a meeting between a bunch of governors, which means that there would be multiple teams affected in this from the Rangers to the Islanders, to the Devils, to the Flyers, to the Penguins. Like you have a lot of teams that could potentially be affected by regulations in these areas And the league said, first and foremost, they're going to follow whatever regulations the states, counties, cities have in place, and then they may actually add to those regulations league-wide. So I I have a feeling things are going to be pushed back, but I always thought a mid-January, late-January start date was probably more realistic just because of the holidays. Um, So in my mind, it's like, I just hope that, these changes don't affect the evaluation period of when should we really start camp? When do players want to come back? What does that look like? But we'll see. Um, These are some of the questions we didn't get to last week. I didn't want to let them fall by the wayside here. Brooke, they want to know Luke Hoke. I hope I'm saying your last name right. Luke wants to know which rookie do you think has a shot to make the big club this year? I'd like to eliminate more, or, uh, yeah, Morgan Frost from this conversation because I think he's kind of, everybody expects that it will be Morgan. We've already seen Morgan. He just feels like too easy of an answer. So I'm going to make right. it more difficult for you. So who do you think it'll be?
1: Grr. No, I'm kidding. Um, I think, and I think you're, you're pretty high on this, this player as well in terms of, I think he kind of falls by the wayside and he's very underrated and Yes, he's seen time with the Flyers last season, but I think he has. are gonna say, "Can we say it Carson. on three?
0: Oh, damn! I'm sorry. Let's pretend like you did. Ready? One, two, three. Carson, Carson Torrance.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, in terms of his development last season during camp, he blew everyone away. I remember day in and day out during that training camp, we were all talking media like where. Where was this Carson at the end of last year? You know, and blew everybody away. He rightfully got to travel with the team, and Paris with, with and that whole story is just so like that's what makes me love sports so much. Is that are those kind of stories? And it's the same thing like when we were there with Carter Hart's first game two years ago, and I, that was funny because I was. You know, still interning, so I was running around oh, with yeah, you. you were my so we, I know. So we got to do that whole interview with his mom and that whole story, which is just yeah, I cried you that have, too. Yeah, you just you have those moments in sports, especially hockey, because of the kind of environment that this team has kind of created over the past few seasons, and you just you can't help but just feel so happy and excited for them. And again, pulling on that whole large adult son running joke. It's like you feel like a proud parent when you see these prospects finally get the call, get the green light, are told that this is finally happening, that's something that they've looked forward to since they were kids, since they started skating to have that first call for the NHL. So Carson Torinsky is a very sneaky, physical player. And that is something that I think the Flyers could really benefit from in the bottom six. They're going to have a little bit to replace in terms of not having Tyler Pitlick next year. And I just think that when Torinsky is on his game, he's very impressive. And again, he does it very sneakily, which is something that could benefit the Flyers. Now, in terms of how he performed once he was sent down to Lehigh Valley is the only part that brings some sense of concern for me because that's obviously a knock on confidence. And I know that that's so much of professional sports and everything is so mental. So going from that kind of high to being sent down a few weeks later, obviously that's going to have some effect on you. And it did have some effect on his play. It took him a few, um, I think it was two months before he really got going again and found his footing in Lehigh Valley. So it'll be interesting to see, but I've said this with basically every single younger player that got a little bit of time with the Flyers this year, with Frost, with Bunneman. Um, Once you get that taste of NHL, And with the pros and with your team and you get sent back down, you'll do anything it takes to get back there and to ride that wave and be on that high. So I'm, I'm very interested and curious to see how Torinsky comes into camp because I'd be shocked if he's not with them. So.
0: Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, just, I would love to pick a different player just to play devil's advocate, but I'm kind of on the same but in terms of I would love to see Carson have a Nico Bay Q kind of trajectory this year. I think he could uh, when you see some of these guys, especially in person. And I know when, when fans meet players, at the players, wives, carnivals or, you know, just in person in general, a lot of the feedback that you get a lot of the time when it comes to especially these young guys like a Farabee or a Frost, you um, not so much Connor Bunneman. He's a pretty big kid. He just looks really young in his face is, is that people are shocked by how a young they look in person and b small. They are in person um, just because they're not, I mean, Joel Farabee is barely not a child anymore. Like truthfully, it is shocking how, how much he's committed to certain physical parts of the game because he is a, I don't know that if you looked at, and I'd honestly have to look at what his weight is compared to like a Claude Giroux or, you know, someone of comparable size to him. But when you see how he carries it, when he's not, you know, all up in the pads, at which point it's really hard to tell what some of these guys actually look like. Mm -hmm. He's still very much as a little kid. I have a feeling that Joel Farabee will get a lot stronger and will develop into an even better player than we've seen now Morgan Frost is kind of that same way. But what I'm getting at here, a very roundabout way, Carson Torensky is kind of already there. He is physically yes. strong enough to play the game. He looks much more like an adult when you see him in person. Got a great head on his shoulders. I met his parents last year when they came to Prague. They like just... Just a great guy probably to have in a dressing room on a consistent basis Um, from our interactions. He certainly was, uh, he never took for granted the moment like you were talking about. He's not one of those guys who's like, I belong here and they're screwing me over. Right, like this is like, yeah. Who wants to earn that moment. Oh no, 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 you're fine. Um, He wants to earn that moment. And when he gets there, it's not lost on him how much work it takes A to be there, B to stay there. The thing that's interesting with the struggles when he goes back down to Lehigh. And this is where I'm always thankful for Scott Gordon and his time as interim coach of the flyers, because his perspective gives you a ton of insight on two way players is these guys are asked to do such different things or able to do, I should say such different things from playing for the phantoms to playing for the flyers You know, he would always talk about with Travis Sanheim when he was with Lehigh, um, always wanted to pinch, always wanted to get up in the offense to the point where Scott would have to put a leash on him and be like, you have to, you have to stick to certain assignments. You can't jump in all the time. You can't jump up all the time. I know that you physically can because Travis Sanheim is incredibly, I mean, covers so much ground in the NHL. Nonetheless, playing with the phantoms, you know, it's just because you're going to develop bad habits when you get to the NHL where you need to be more disciplined. And when he got up to being with the flyers regularly, that's when they said, leash is off. Like, go ahead. You can get up as much as you think that you can, because you're not going to be able to get up as much as you could before. And Scott Gordon teaching him that was huge for Travis that's the thing that's I find interesting when you get somebody like a Carson who was a bottom six player when he was up with the Flyers is that you're basically taught just play your role well, just play your part well. And then you go back down and all of a sudden it's like playing my part is a completely different thing. It means something completely different. But I think because Carson has an understanding of what that role is when he is up, um, A, he'll be hungry for it, and B, he'll know how to handle it. Uh, He also got thrown up with the Flyers at a really taxing time for all the guys from the Prague to the West Coast. I know we talk about this all the time,
1: but that was such a... People don't understand how draining. I remember you had... We had one of your Taryn's Travels videos up from when you guys... I think it was once you got to Western Canada... And you were doing a breakdown of how much you guys have traveled. I was tired watching you break down how much you and the team went. Like- I'm not
0: doing anything hard. Like I don't <laughs> pretend like my job is hard. My job is fun. I try to, to take my work seriously, but not myself too seriously. But I'm just telling you from a, from a physical standpoint, I forget how ahead Prague was. I want to say it was like six hours of New Jersey, maybe. I don't remember. But it was like, let's say it was six hours ahead and then you get back to Jersey, you play one game against the Devils and you go out to Vancouver where we were there for what felt like 17 million days because we stayed in Vancouver for so long. And it's like four hours behind. And you're like, my whole body clock is 12 hours off Mm -hmm. at this point. I've just adjusted to Prague and now I'm 12 hours off or 10 hours off. It was brutal. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. We were asked, who will replace Tyler Pitlick? Love that kid. Not sure we have anyone like him on the roster. Miss that grit and tenacity. I've been saying, and I know that Elaine Vigneault has said, Tyler Pitlick's parts of his game are so underrated, and he never wanted them to go undervalued. He He, he skated so hard just to put pressure on the puck sometimes. Like, he knew he wasn't going to get to it. He knew – but it was just like, let me try to make you make a mistake. He finished checks hard. Everything he did was hard, even if he knew he wasn't the fastest guy or the most skilled, the best shooter, whatever. He did it 1,000% to the point that it, it really did have impacts on games because he just wore people down. How do the Flyers replace that brook?
1: I mean, I was so on board with hoping that the Flyers re-signed him. I was hashtag team Tyler Pitt since the Flyers were knocked out of the playoffs. Just because when you watched him when play resumed, I mean he was so great to watch the entire season. And he was a kind he was an acquisition for Philadelphia that it was you know, it wasn't really risky if it kind of fell short of terms of expectations that it was fine. It was no big deal, but he exceeded expectations and he became a player that was such a treat to watch because of what you said. He was never afraid to be aggressive. And I loved watching him in the playoffs because he knew that some of those top guys were not performing. So he went out every single shift at 130 percent and he was never Afraid to be aggressive, to get on the puck, to do what, to get any type of shot off, and it was just, it was a different pace. And he was a kind of player that could change the momentum of the game just because of everything that he brought, his level of aggression, and it's he's going. There's no immediate fix. It's it's not as severe as replacing a Matt Niskanen, but by any means, but...
0: Flyers have to replace both. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Lucky us. (laughs) Um, But basically, after that kind of happened and we got to talk to Chuck Fletcher and Elaine Mignot, a big consensus was that they're really high on these prospects that are coming up. And I know that he's already with the team, but I think that his role is definitely going to significantly expand. I really see Nicholas Albe-Kubel taking that next step and solidifying himself in the roster next year and being that kind of player because, like you said, there were so many parts of Pitlick's game that you did not want to go brushed under. You didn't want them to be underappreciated. And I think that Albe-Kubel kind of possesses that same kind of potential, if not more so, where, whenever he's on the ice, you're watching him. And for such a young player to be doing this, I don't think Alba Kubel is going to be the kind of forward that's going to be a bottom six for his entire career, by any means. No. Because his upside is, I you've heard it multiple times, but I mean, you've really stop got being to late see. Yes, yeah, Nack, if you're watching this or stop listening to this stop being late because we're rooting for you
0: Can't <laughs> um, attention.
1: yeah so I'm I'm rooting for him I think that he's he's a great guy he's a great player and I think that it's only his his talent is really only going to grow and I know that that probably sounds like such a cliche but listen if I thought that this was all he was going to be as a player I would say that I think yeah. that the Flyers have so many prospects and so many young guys that they're not even touching the ceiling yet. They're not even reaching their potential. And I think that falls with Albe Kubell. I think that falls with Philip Myers. I think that falls with Travis Sanheim, Travis Konechny. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to talk about, to know that you already have good players. The fact that they're only going to get better, oof, Lucky us.
0: Yeah. It's not, will their game get better? It's, Oh, they'll get older and bigger and stronger. That that's really the flyers youth situation right now. Tyler Pitlick was very, and truthfully just a zero ego guy, like most unassuming guy. And he played that style of hockey. He had no ego about chasing down a puck, chasing down a guy with the puck, laying it out there. He had no ego about it. I I think that you hit the, the nail right on the head with, um, Nico Bay has sort of that tenacity and that toughness. It's a matter of, I think he grew into, as we saw by the playing time, a steady NHL player this year. I would love to see next year him become a consistently contributing NHL player in terms of keeping that physicality as well as that kind of skill and production that we really saw him develop kind of right before the pause. And then once the flyers got back from the pause, he was one of the guys who adjusted the best I thought post pause in terms of his ability to produce. So he seems to be, uh, the guy I would say, I know we mentioned Carson Torinsky as well, but he's got to get up and get comfortable, but there's some people, there's, there's some people there. There's plenty of fight on this team. All right. That will do it for this edition of the Flyers Talk podcast. Brooke, thank you so much for such a pleasant Monday, pucks deep
1: kind of afternoon chat. Really, I really
0: love doing this with you, girl.
1: Oh, my favorite person. I know I say it all (laughs) the time, but I don't just say it just to say it. I adore you. So this is so much fun.
0: Come for the hockey, stay for the nice off at the end of each episode between me and Brooke. (laughs) Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. I can assure you that Jordan will be back and much more organized than me at some point. Um, But in the meantime, feel free to, first of all, subscribe so that you don't miss any of these episodes. Um, Second of all, to rate, preferably five stars. um, And then you could unsubscribe, then resubscribe, and then unsubscribe, then resubscribe. And then leave some reviews. If you like Jordan and Brooke, but you don't like me... That's me, don't leave that review. Just say it was good.